Where do I start? How do I train recall? How long should we work on healing before moving on? Is crate training really that important? We hear these questions all the time and there's one answer that will help with all of them. The complete step-by-step -step dog training course found at Standing Stone Supply. They break down the what, when, where, and how to train your own dog from eight weeks to one year old. They've got it all laid out for you down to even the daily activity checklist to keep you and your puppy on track. Check out standingstonesupply.com and remember to use code GDIY to save 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. I looked at him and I said, bird dog training has nothing to do with police dog training. <laughs> and and left. And, and then my only point wasn't wasn't to be a you know a butt, but just to hit a point is that there are pillars of dog training and they're consistent in my experience across almost all all breeds of working dog. We get asked all the time what the most important thing to consider is when training and living with a hunting dog, and they're often surprised when they hear us answer with proper nutrition. It's pretty obvious when you think about it, though. It doesn't matter how well the dog is trained if it doesn't have the right fuel. The saying garbage in, garbage out rings true in dog nutrition. Yukonuba's premium performance lineup goes beyond just protein and fat with a number of different formulas designed to fuel your dog's specific activity level while supporting their recovery and optimizing their nutrient delivery. The proof is in the pudding, or lack thereof, when you make the switch to Yukonuba. You'll see immediate results in your dog's energy level and drive. They have a formula for every type of dog from your hardest working dog in the field to your laziest retired dog on the couch. Head on over to YukonubaSportingDog.com to find the right formula for your hunting partner. Make the switch today and let Yukonuba fuel your dog so you can focus on what you and your dog actually love to do, work. One thing we all love to do with our dogs is hit the road and go on new adventures. In order for that to happen, we have to be able to safely and efficiently travel with our dogs. Dakota 283 is dedicated to building unparalleled pet protection and tailgate lifestyle products for you and your best friends. Their one-piece roto-molded kennels have many options such as the Hero Series for military-grade crates, T1 low-profile kennels that will fit truck beds with tonneau covers, and their most popular G3 Series that's available in any size you'll need. Dakota not only offers many different sizes and styles of kennels, they also offer products and accessories to help with food and water transport, truck bed storage, and even grooming stations. Have a new puppy and only want to buy one kennel instead of buying multiple ones as they grow? Look at the Forever Kennel Insert Divider that gives you the ability to buy a kennel now and adjust the size inside as needed. No matter what you need to get you on your next adventure with your dog, Dakota has it for you. Check them out now at dakota283.com. Your new 283 lifestyle is just one click and free shipping away. All right, everybody. We are joined this week by Bruce Swanson. Bruce, how are you doing this evening? Peachy, how are you? Oh, living the dream as always. Start off with the obvious. Tell everybody where you're coming from. Uh, I currently live in southern Utah 
in a little community uh, between Cedar City and St. George. Nice, nice. So you're in Chucker country then. Yes, sir. <laughs> nice. Uh, so you're in Utah. W what are we here to talk about tonight? Oh, well, we're here to talk about uh, three pillars of training that I have found in the last 45 plus years of training that is appropriate for almost every working dog out there. Wow. So three pillars, I mean, narrowing dog training down to three pillars, I mean, that's a pretty big testament. So, you know, let's go ahead and get your your experience and history out of the way. Kind of introduce yourself and and just touch on the experience that you've come over the years to to develop your, your way of looking at this and kind of sum up dog training to just three different pillars. Okay, well, I'm uh, late 50s. Um, I was, I'm originally from Minnesota. I grew up in a dog family for the most part. And my mother raised working Doberman Pinchers, um, since I was, I can remember. And back in those days, the, my, uh, mother took the one dog to work with her, um, as she did payroll and all the rest of the stuff. And, the other dog was our home protection dog. They didn't have alarm systems or anything like that. That was what we did. And then um, as time went on, they had to have a litter of pups or two, and they sold them to police departments and the military. Okay. So I've, I've been around dogs for ever since I was small. But then I really started hunting dogs when I was a teenager and got my first golden. And I, all I had was the farm area around the house. and. We had pheasants and all that in southern Minnesota and a lot of waterfowl. And then as I uh, got older, I, I went into the military. And then when I got stationed in Albuquerque, I was in the Air Force. Um, I, I got my first really nice German short hair and really started getting into it and became part of that first or the, the original Nobda Club there in Albuquerque. And then as time went on, I, I got stationed out west, and I got out of the military. And right as I was getting out of the military in the 90s, um, I got into NASTRA and competed in NASTRA for several years. Um, I was a president of the, the Las Vegas Bird Dog Club for a little bit. And then right around that time, I, I became a law enforcement officer, mainly because of I ran into a canine handler and I thought man for a dog guy that is the job to have so fast forward five years into being a police officer I became a drug dog handler and then a few years after that I promoted to sergeant and I've been I was the squeaky wheel they didn't have a canine <laughs> active canine unit at that particular time so uh once I promoted, I was able to uh, convince the city to get a canine unit, and then we added detection dogs and patrol dogs. And then within a couple of years of that, we expanded the unit, and I became the unit trainer. And I completed that for about 10 years. In the interim of doing that, um, I also had my personal dogs. I got out of the bird dogs, um, just mainly due to location. Yeah. Um, Southern Nevada doesn't have a ton of quail and you got to drive hundreds of miles to go find quail. 
Um, and so I got into uh, big game hounds and mountain curse. Wow. And I chased uh, bears, mountain lions, and bobcats with them and, uh, for almost 25 years. Wow. In addition to that, when I moved up here to southern Utah, we have um, some, it's really different hog hunting. And I know you guys have done, you've had a hog guy on before. And, and we actually have some uh, truly Russian uh, blood that got away from a game ranch. And now they're, they're up and hitting parts of Utah, Nevada, and Arizona. And as like a couple of those pictures I showed you, we got some bruisers. Yeah. And so uh, I've done fairly well with my mountain curves and hound crosses. And the difference between a lot of the hog guys and what we do out here is you almost got to cold trail your hogs up like a lion because they, they're so far apart and you, you look for tracks. We don't rig them or we ride mules and horses and big, make big loops in them. But we've caught some pretty good dandies, as you've seen. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that gives you a whole nother aspect to a, a big game hounds when you're using your same dogs for bears, lions and hogs. So is that is that what you're doing to this day still as hounds, or did you circle back to some bird dogs? No, I am I am currently back into the bird dogs. Um, I, I would I would hate to say it's uh, only one thing, but again, after you catch so many bears, so many lions, and so many uh, hogs, it um, you know it it, it kind of stays the same. And <laughs> and reality is, is big game hounds is quite a bit different in the dog training aspect as you basically give them an environment and then exposure and old dogs train the young dogs. You don't do a whole lot of hands-on and, and technical training more than uh, coming here, you know, and, gotcha. and finding you and, and stuff. They, they're, they're a breed of dog that really needs to be able to go out and do stuff on their own. Yeah. So, 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 so reading between the lines, ultimately it sounds like you just kind of missed working with the dogs and, and training the dogs. You know, like you said, the hounds kind of just expose them and put them with some older dogs and they're going to learn. It, it's sounding like you just kind of missed the actual training of the actual dog. Absolutely. And that was probably the number one reason uh, but to tell you the truth, the mountains keep getting taller, um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm not getting any younger. Um, so a little bit, but then you go and try to go chucker hunting and it reminds me straight up of lion hunting. So it, uh, that, that is not much different, yeah. but the training aspect is what I really missed. And so that was really, once I stopped with the police dogs, um, which was really intense training. And then th that gap between then the filled with the big game hounds and whatnot, um, I really started missing that portion of the dog work. I, I hear you. I hear you. Well, and I mean, to, to, you have such a vast and long history with dogs. I mean, you know, to sum up, you, you went from growing up with military-style dogs and protection dogs, went into NAVDA, then went into NASRA, then went into law enforcement dogs, then in hounds, and now you've circled back to bird dogs. And so you're, you're one of those renaissance dogmen, right? You've, you've kind of seen it all, done it all, and 
you're you're back to square one almost with these bird dogs and working with the the bird dogs which is obviously what we're really usually talking about on this podcast and so like when when you connected with me and we started talking about you know a good topic and you brought up the three pillars of dog training just your vast experience and uh dealing with dogs from all types of different areas and types of hunting and work it, it kind of it struck my interest right because it's not like you're it, it's not like me going out there and trying to claim that I figured out the three pillars of dog training and I've only trained, you know, a few bird dogs. You've trained dogs your entire life in all kinds of different industries. So when you said three pillars, it intrigued me. And I guess right now I want you to go ahead and just name off the three pillars that you've kind of, for lack of a better phrase, summed up dog training with. Okay. Is, is all right. I'd like to give you one little caveat story that kind of pushes this home. Absolutely. And that is when, when I got into the, to the police dog, um, Avenue, um, there had been some nationally known trainers in our area that had been doing police work and police dogs and patrol dog and detection work for 30 years when, when I was just getting into this. And, and I met a couple of these gentlemen, one in particular, and he was of with a lot of people in certain avenues of dog training, whether it's retrievers, bird dogs, beagles, hounds, uh, herding dogs. It doesn't matter. They kind of believe that there's, you know, these kind of um, avenues or directions to go to train a dog. And I happened to make a statement to this nationally known dog trainer that I said, dogs do everything pretty similar doesn't matter what breeds that they do. And we kind of touched on it. They do everything off of traits and drives. And I said, bird dog training is police dog training. And he told me absolutely not that it has nothing to do with police dog training. Mm. And literally 12 months to the year, I competed against that national tra uh, trainer in a competition in Las Vegas at the Orleans and whipped him. <laughs> and as I was coming out of there and took first place in tactical obedience against some of the best police dogs in the West, and I looked at him and I said, bird dog training has nothing to do with police dog training. <laughs> and, and left. And then my only point wasn't, wasn't to be a, you know, a butt, but just to hit a point is that there are pillars of dog training and they're consistent in my experience across almost all all breeds of working dogs absolutely I, I agree dog training is dog training so what what are these three pillars that you're talking about because i know there's listeners out there like oh there's some sort of hidden secret here and, and you're gonna say this what, what are they well it's really not it's not a secret it, mm -hmm. it, it really is and then and there's other people who are going to put names to it but this is just one way when i when I'm explaining it to people and that I, it gets to me, it's called time, distance, and distraction. Time, now, distance, and distraction. It, it, time, distance, and distraction. And you can apply that to just about every training scenario that you get to. And there is a, a significant difference in time. It, it's not timing. So in dog training, all three of these pillars, there's also a critical timing element 
that is just a blanket across everything. Yeah. And like, you know, you know, timing is so important as you know, if you don't do the right thing at the right time, you can have a complete opposite effect of what you're trying to do. Absolutely. So in time, so if you want me to, to go through each one of these, but in time, um, is I'll give an example of, uh, you're, you're teaching a, a dog to down, okay. say, and, and it, and this applies if it's any basic obedience command, down, stay, whoa. Um, when you say down you know, everybody has a different definition for everything. Just for your example, down, you're, you're talking about lay down or are you talking about like, get off me? No, I'm talking about lay down. Gotcha. So, but if it's get off me, um, uh, it could have also applied to yep. that. Because if a dog gets up and jumps in your lap and he's in there three minutes and then you try to tell him down and you're, you know, you're, and that also kind of goes to timing, but uh, you need to do it soon as he jumps in your lap. Yeah. So, and if that, you know, so you go, you got them on a leash, so you don't have any distance. There's no distractions around. So you go in and you got them on a leash and you go down. Whatever, if you use your reward system or you use pressure, then, but the time is you want to do it right then. Right when the first minute his front leg goes down to the ground is you on the first time he does it, that's when the reward needs to come in. That's the time. As as you expand that, then you're going to let him go down. He's in a down position. Then you're going to give him a two count and give him his reward. Then, you know, the next time you do it, you might give him a three count, mm-hmm. a five count. That's the kind of time that we're talking about. So when... So to sum that up, like when you're introducing it, you need immediate time, immediate reward or pressure one way or the other based on the action of the dog. So it knows exactly what you're trying to communicate and in correlation to what they're doing. So, and then you're extending the time, you're making it harder and more difficult to really drill it and drive it home. Am I on the right track with you? Yes, sir. Okay. So too, too easy. So the timing is essentially like when it's not so much like extending the duration of the time, like put it in terms of when it is that you're rewarding or pressuring that dog. Like don't put it in terms of the dog's timing. It's your timing as the handler. Well, well, there's two things. The timing, the timing is a part of all three pillars. So timing is critical in everything that you do as far as the reward and that. But what I'm saying is time is the thing when you extend it, whatever you're extending. So if you're doing a long sit or, you know, you don't start off by making a dog sit for five minutes. Mm -hmm. You start off with making them sit and give them a reward when his butt hits the ground. The reward is the critical timing. The time as far as training goes is how long you've made him stay in that position and or do that task. Yep. Makes sense. I'm tracking. Okay. So, 
so pretty much like you said, this can be applied to anything, basic obedience and, and anything over time. I mean, you, you know, I, I would say probably with the listeners and, and, and the stuff that we train, you, the, the most common thing that you're going to come across is probably place training and woe uh, as far as communicating this. So like the timing, you know, it's very easy to, as soon as you, if you're doing woe, as soon as they stop, you know, good boy, good girl, treat, click, whatever your method is, and then just extend it over time make it more difficult and then that that's really that's so that's the first pillar that's your timing and then is that when you start going into distance you've kind of introduced it and you've kind of made it more difficult so now it's time to make it even more difficult and start adding in some distance correct and distance can mean a multiple of things it could be the distance as the distance that the dog goes, and it could be the distance from you. Okay. So an example would be as if you're doing a recall, and, uh, you know, the very first time, you know, you're going to want to wait until the dog turns, and, you know, most of the time it's puppies. You're right. You're going to wait until the puppy turns, and you got them on the end of a leash uh, or a check cord, Mm -hmm. and... You give him a little tug on it, and he turns his head, so he's looking at you. There's no distractions. It's just you. He's already facing you. You give him a little tug, and he takes one step towards you at the time that you, when you see his foot moving, you go here. So that's also distance, but like I was saying earlier, the timing on all these is, uh, is critical. Yeah. But on this, so, you know, to – to backtrack on that statement, you know, we've already done timing. So let's, let's just pick one example. Use that recall that you just started with. You've already kind of introduced it with the timing, correct? And then you're moving on to the distance to where you're starting to enforce it with the dog further away. Uh, because you, you already said once, you're only focusing on one pillar at a time. You're not overlapping two or three pillars at the same time. It's a, it's just one solid deal. So if you're working on timing, you're working on timing right now. We're working on distance. So well, like, you're, you're trying to swap in the words, make sure we're talking about, cause there's timing and then there's time. Okay. So we talked about time, but just remember the timing of when you give rewards or the timing when you ask to do any of these distance or distractions, the, the timing is that's critical. That's, uh, you know, that all comes up with, you know, age, environment, and opportunity, you yeah. know. But, so I don't want to get too deep in the weeds. But so to go back to distance is the first one is he takes one step towards you. Mm-hmm. The next one is he takes three steps towards you. Then the next one is, is you're going to, you know, he might be at the end of the leash. And then the next training session, he might be a 25-foot check cord. You know, yep. um, that's the distance um, in, in a recall. But you could say this, you could use the same analogy for placement training. You know, you wouldn't want to try to send a, a young dog out 25 yards to get on the, the placement at the first time he's out. Right. You want to do it right in front of you. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, obviously, you're going to start close and then over time increase the distance. You know, it's it, like you said, no matter what, whether it's place training, recall, force fetch, whatever, you, you, you start 
right here and then you increase the distance and that's that right there is going to make it more difficult so you know it goes back into introduce it make it more difficult you know put a bow on it wrap it up and make it pretty and then move on um and and using that analogy and and you know the next one is distractions but mm -hmm. you're also you know your time comes into play but you, you know you're working on distance but you also got to make sure that they're not distractions right and that's so before Distraction is so important because distraction can either be a complete and utter killer and hindrance to you and your dog's training, or it can be a benefit. And what I mean by that is like, if you set, if you go out for a training session and you didn't really think about where you're at or the environment, you know, we talk about consistency all the time, making sure that if you're in the learning phase or introduction phase or exposure phase that you have as little distractions for that dog as possible but then later on after you've done the intro and then made it harder and more difficult and then you have to add in distraction because it's kind of like putting the dog through its final test correct Ab absolutely i mean and, and that's a whole training module in itself Mm -hmm. You know, and, and when you're training distance, you don't want distractions at first. When you're training, you know, and you're training like a long down, you don't want to have distractions. But at a certain point, when they've accomplished at a certain level that you feel comfortable, then you would add in a kid, a dog, a vehicle, somebody walking by, um, you know, and that's all kind of, you know, the level of where you're at. And that kind of goes back to, um, you know, not another rabbit hole you say is you, you go down is, um, you know, I lost my thought there for a the, second. The drive of the dog or traits of the dog kind of, each dog is going to have its own little distraction, right? You know, so, some things that distract dog A will be completely different from the things that distract dog B. Is, is that kind of where you're headed with that? Yes. Yes, and it's different for everyone, and then it's also different. Um, it's age appropriate too. True. You know? Yes. Uh, puppies are going to be way more distracted, so you're going to really try to help that out until they get a little bit older by and limit those distractions. Absolutely, and so I, I, I want to stay on that for a second. Distractions, because you know when we talk about limit the distractions, you don't want any distractions. You know, there's some people out here, especially you know if it's their first dog. They're going to hear that and they're going to kind of go overboard with it, right? Like if you're training, let's say outside, especially what, what you just said, a puppy. A puppy's attention span is not going to be well established. That's why we say keep it really short and really sweet and fun. Keep their attention. But you may only have a few minutes of that puppy's full attention to where you can really teach it what you're wanting to. You know, we're not talking about eliminating everything that can potentially distract your dog because that's, in my opinion, it's impossible to eliminate all potential distractions. You're dealing with dogs in these noses. There's no telling what they're picking up in the wind. You know, if a rabbit runs by, a bird runs by. So, like, you know, talk to, talk real quick to just the, the right training environment as it comes into play with the distractions. Well, and, and uh, it, it really depends on what kind of training you're going to do. But at the same time, if you've got a front yard and your dog uh, 
you say you've got a four month old, you know, pointer puppy or, or something or a short hair and you spend time in that yard, you know, and get them used to the yard. So, uh, whatever's there, it's not something new, you know, and take them and, and before you train, make sure they're comfortable in that environment. And then you bring them in and do the training. The last thing you do with a young dog is take them completely out of their known environment and then take, like taking a puppy to a puppy park and then expect him to work on his obedience. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, it kind of, it's one of those things you're going to kind of learn, especially if this is your first dog, right? You know, put it in terms of yeah. first, first time dog owners. They don't know their dog yet completely because it's a puppy. They're just getting to know it. And it's their first dog. So they may not be able to recognize like, hey, you know, this this draught that I have or this wire hair, you know, it might have a little bit higher fur drive. So that squirrel up in the tree might be a major concern, a major distraction to that dog. Uh, but then you, you know, you might have another dog over here later on down the road or a friend has whatever to where it couldn't care at all about that squirrel. But to your point, it's just like exposure, get to know your dog and know what's going to hurt the training session, but also what's going to help it. Because at some point when you, when you're trying to wrap up training, anything, the basic obedience or anything down the road, at some point you have to add distraction and make it difficult. It's kind of like you're, you're trying to set the dog up to make a mistake so you can correct it almost. That, absolutely. And that's all age appropriate, you know, and training level. Um, uh, a quick example would be is if you, if you got a draught, you got uh, your, your first time, whatever breed of bird dog, and you're taking it out to train, but you also have another uh, yard dog that's out running around, you know, a dog uh, that isn't in training, uh, I would suggest putting that puppy up or that dog up so that your new pup can focus on you yep. a little better. And, and you know what, it's opportunity is, is so valuable that if you do um, end up with a, an opportunity, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent to having a plan. Every time you take your dog out and you want to accomplish something, Make sure you have it straight in your head. You have all the tools, the clicker, the, the whistle, the treat, the, the pinch collar, whatever your method is, have a plan, but be flexible. Be really flexible because the idea is, is just like with some people, you know what, if they're distracted at the point um, that you're not going to accomplish anything, you are going to do more damage than you do good by trying to get too much force or getting upset or or then just make it a fun time and put it away. But an example I would give you is like, I'll be out here and, and, and I've got five acres. And as I'm out working the yard um, the other day, about a four and a half foot bull snake come rolling across right in front of me. And I mean, I've got grass to mow. I've got all this. I run and grab a five gallon bucket. I stop my activities for the moment. I put a bucket over that snake. I go put uh shock collars on dogs get it and i take the opportunity to use that for a training moment even though i was going to do something else so that squirrel 
that runs in may be a great opportunity if your dog has been coming here and here and here and doing really well and yep. he's six months old and you just never had that distraction, grab it, take the opportunity to use that situation or that environment to um, complete a portion because yeah. there's no right, wrong way to, to go about this. There's just different ways. You, you're, you're not losing sight of the forest for the trees, right? So you're, sure. you're, you're keeping the end goal in mind. And, and you know, to, to caveat off that, it, it your story just reminded me of, you know, I, I've been out with a, a buddy just doing a fun run with dogs before. And this particular buddy, this was a couple of years ago, you know, he kept talking about how, you know, his dog has an issue chasing deer, chasing deer, chasing. Every time we went out, the dog would chase deer. And, you know, he, he, he didn't want to use the collar because he's like, I haven't done an actual training session and we're out walking one day and we look up and there's a herd of doe i mean 200 300 yards out in in the field we knew that there were deer there we knew that the dogs were going to catch scent and he was still hesitant to use the e-collar and it it finally just took to where i'm asking him like look do you actually want to train deer aversion for your dog and he was like, well, yes, but I want it set up. I'm like, you know, it's right there. It's set up. It's an opportunity. Go do it right now. And don't worry about just having fun, a fun run. You have a training opportunity right now. You know, don't lose sight of your end goal just because you walked out to have a plan and just have a fun run with your dogs for, you know, for this afternoon, right? Yes, absolutely. Take every opportunity you get because they, like you said, a deer, how much he may go another six months without having an opportunity to train on a deer. Exactly. If you know without a shadow of a doubt that that dog is going to catch the deer scent, then you can get effective training because that's the hardest part about deer aversion. You know, you can, you can suspect that your dog's on deer scent, but do you actually know without a shadow of a doubt that it is on deer scent? And, but that's just one example, you know, what, one thing, so I I love this talk on the distraction. I think that's probably, well, now the timing is probably the most difficult thing for, for the average person to get down truly. But the distraction part is very interesting because we talked about distractions in terms of distracting the dog, but I want you to touch on, there's another way to look at this. What's distracting the handler and the trainer and having the right training mindset. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and a lot of that goes back to what we were just talking about is not having a plan. You know, um, I've heard, you know, on some of your previous podcasts, people make a whiteboard and write down their training. Mm -hmm. I keep a little notepad uh, to kind of give myself a reminder where I was at and and what's my end goal. Um, But also, you know, if you've had a really rough day, and 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 you just you know uh, are at your wit's end, and you didn't sleep the night before. Well, guess what? When you get home, or that you know that might not be the best time, or your distractibility is, or your mind's not on what you're should be doing. And a lot of times, you'll do more damage than you'll do good. Yeah. I mean, how many times as dog owners and, and trainers have we forced a training session in just because we felt like we had to, right? You know, you're you're not really feeling it. Maybe the dog's not even feeling it, but like, you know, whatever it is, you you had a rough day at work, you got home late, you know, 
the timing's off. It's just not there, right? You have an off day, but it's just like, I'm going to go out there and force it through. And then it ends up just blowing up and you have a disastrous training session. It's, you know, it's, if you're not set in your right mind, you can't get upset when the dog isn't right in their right mind because the dog feeds directly off of you as the handler and trainer. You know, I've often said to people that are getting into this, the guy, the person with the best dog is the one that makes the least amount of mistakes. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to make them. I mean, everybody does. Pro trainers do it all the time. You know, um, everybody's going to make a mistake. It's just at what level and then how do you rebuild it? Yep. And, and, and in addition to the people having distractions, and not having their mind right, dogs have days that they just are better off to play in the yard and <laughs> thing. And, yeah. and and on top of that, that that's a good part of this. That um, I don't know if you've covered in a, in your previous podcast or not, but um, when when dogs are are uh, really distracted and just having you know a, a, a bad day. You know, just turn it around and make it into a real fun day. You know, go just throw bumpers. Don't care what the the, the bottom line is. You know, yeah, and that's a hard thing to do because you most people only have so much time to it, do that. It is. It is. Usually, you, you you see people and trainers err on the other side. I want to do one more. I want to finish on that positive note. So, like in your experience, what's the best sign? Like, I mean. Obviously, there there's so many different factors to this, different dogs, different people, different environments. But, like, you know, if, if you could give your best advice, general advice that you can offer up, like, if I'm out there training, you know, the dog's mannerisms and behavior, how do you know in a training session or a day that, like, hey, the dog just doesn't have it? You know, I, I'm beating a dead horse. I'm banging my head against the wall. And we're going to come out the other end on this training session for worse instead of better. You know, is it is there like a golden rule? Like, are you looking at this? Like, if if the dog, if you know for a sh without a shadow of a doubt that that dog knows what you're doing, but it just keeps screwing up over and over and over again, where, where is that fine line in your opinion? Because a lot of people could say the opposite that that dog if you let up on that dog and you let it get away with not succeeding then it's gonna learn to do that every time right Where, where's your thought process on that i don't know if that made any sense at all there there are in certain situations um you know that uh growling um in the police dog world you know we have patrol dogs that we select them to be very high in their rank drive. You know, um, there is situations when you have a dog and a handler and they come to a point because you're getting, you know, most police dogs are like two years old uh, or 18 months old. So they're pretty well established, got all their testosterone. They, and they have been encouraged and bred to be the alpha you know, mm -hmm. to be the pack leader. And then you're, you come in as a handler and now you start telling them, no, I'm the pack leader. And this is one of those situations where, you know what, you can't stop. If he growls at you or if he shows a, 
an aggressive thing and he's buying you for your leadership, that's one of those things that you, if if you lose that battle right for or that um, training moment, um, it's going to be way harder the next time. And the analogy is the same way as I, I, I hunt mules. I have riding mules and packing mules. And if you come to water or a bridge and they don't want to go over it, if you don't work on that, and it may take you two hours, you might have to stop everything you do and to get him work through it. But the next time it's going to be twice as hard mm-hmm. to get it over it. So in some environments, yes, but other environments, my straight across, well, it's, if I know the dog has done these tasks before and he has just failed it right off and it's not an earth shattering thing, um, busting birds. Give me an example. I've had, I just sent home two dogs, a setter or a German short hair and an English setter. And I had this setter doing great. I mean, he was holding his birds, doing everything right. And a week before his owner showed up, I was out uh, working birds, went in there. And like he didn't know a thing. <laughs> that particular morning, he did, he did, he hit bird set, wagged his tail, and dove in. <laughs> and I had to launch the birds. And I had shooter birds in the traps. And I mean, right now, in today's days, I don't know about down you, your way, but they're hard to get. Yeah. I, yeah. I have mostly homers. And those aren't my shooters. You know, I am yeah. not going to, you know, do that. You're just watching so dollar bills from, fly away. <laughs> oh, and you know, they're anywhere from six or seven to 10 bucks a piece. Yep. But I had to launch all three of them. And I just like, you know what? We're done for the day. Because yep. marbles off. A day later, complete different dog. Yep. So when I, I think that the line for me is that the dog absolutely does it. And then I got to check myself. If I'm getting frustrated. And and if I feel my temperature rising and going, are you shitting me? Um, <laughs> uh, uh, then I know at that particular time he's going in the dog box, and I I may, you know I may do something else in a while or later in the day, but that training session for me is over. And I think that is that right there. Out of every topic we've covered, I think in my personal experience, you know, somebody can argue to to the grave about this with me just me and my experience and watching other people learn that lesson that is that that is the hardest lesson for so many of us to learn is when to just like look I am not in the mindset that dog is not in the mindset me getting mad and forcing more reps more reps more reps could be it's like throwing gasoline on the fire you can make it 10 times worse but to your point, there are certain things to where it's like you have to know when it's a battle you cannot lose and when it's a battle that's better putting off another day, right? And that is, and it, it really just boils down to knowing your dog and what makes your dog tick. You know, is it a communication issue and they're not doing right because they're unsure of themselves? Or is it literally they're, they're throwing up the birds right back at you and just, you know, flipping you off and say, make me do it. And, and you, you don't really know until you just work your dog and you really get to know the inside of your dog and, and, and what they're really thinking. Right. Yeah. And, and, and reality is, is if you do force the issues, I can count on one hand that it ever turned out positive and hundreds of times that turned out 
bad. Yeah. Where it just sent me back. Yep. But the also the, the the other thing in addition to that about especially your feelings, if you're it's really hard to look inward and go, I'm getting pissed off. So yep. this this is about me. This ain't even really the dog. Because in the end, it's not the dog so much. Yeah, they can have a crappy day. But your training and what you're doing, you're not speaking to that your dog in a language that they're understanding. Yep. Because they ain't getting it. Yep. You're speaking exactly. in the wrong love language to that dog. <laughs> exactly. And and to me that that's the number one benefit to a good quality training partner. You know, it's when I train with people, you know, obviously I want everybody to be friendly and get along and have have the same goals and everything, but I don't I don't want a training partner that only sugarcoats everything and tells me how good my dog is and how good I'm doing. If I'm messing up, I myself and my dog needs my training partner to tell me when I'm screwing up. And it's, it's hard for a lot of people to hear that, but you know, when, when you have a good quality training partner, that'll say, Hey, go put the dog up. Or when you're about to go do another rep, it's like, Hey, you know, not today, or at least go put them up for a few hours, come back to it later. You know, that, that can be a world of difference for you and your dog. And Typically, and me included, uh, probably I'm speaking more about me, mm-hmm. is I'm way harder on my dogs and what I ask for my dogs. And I can clearly see a path on other people's dogs. And I'm like, hey, don't do that. And then I could catch myself doing the same thing. Absolutely. Yep. Well, you're, you're more personally invested in your own dogs. And, and that's where we put blinders on is we care more. And, and, and it comes from a good place. But like you said, it's very hard to look inward. But, it, you know, I, we need to circle back because we went down that rabbit hole. You know, <laughs> so let's let's jump back into the three pillars because I, I, I'm curious in your experience. You know, we already kind of talked about the timing, the distance and the distraction. Are you always going in that order or does it depend on the dog and what you're working on? Sometimes do you change it up? Like it, it sounds like one feeds into the next, which feeds into the, to the next one. But am I wrong in that assumption? No, you, you're at, they're, they're building blocks. And what I could say is which ones I start with is it's age. I take agent is the big consideration but then also the environment. Take advantage of the environment that you're doing in your training. Like we were saying, have a training plan. Mm-hmm. But if if today you happen to be driving by a pond and water introduction wasn't on your list, but you don't have a pond within 50 miles of your house, well, set your training up for that particular and then just think about those pillars about, okay, is the distraction. If I got two dogs, let's not try working water in the first time with two dogs out there unless you're trying to use that other dog as an incentive to get your young dog in the water. Mm -hmm. So age and and opportunity and or environment kind of determines which one of the three pillars. Um, And they do kind of work on each other, but then you can – you know, it doesn't say like you can only work at time for for time. Then you're right. Then as soon as it, if the time and he turns and and you say sit and he sits, well, you can turn right around. And if he took that one right, you can either add, you can add distance to it or 
if he's looking at you and somebody walks out, you may even use a distraction at that time, but just don't, I wouldn't add two or three of them in a row. Yeah. At the same time. Yep. Well, and if you add too much at one time, you don't know where the dog fell short, right? If that makes sense. So like, you know, Absolutely. if you're working on timing and like you said, it's a, it's just going smooth. It's just that day that it's just like, you feel like you're the smartest and best dog trainer in the world, right? So it's just like, all right, let me add some distance. Well, if you start adding distance and distraction and multiple distractions, you don't know where that dog went from rock star to kindergarten again, right? So it's like, it, it's the same thing with anything in life. You start adding in one factor at a time. And then that way you also know where the shortcoming hit. And then you know where your baseline is. You know what you need to work on and how. Absolutely. So I think this right here, you know, it's a very important lesson. You know, it, it, it it's very interesting to me you know i've heard the three fundamentals of dog training multiple different ways but you know this is the first time i've heard it as timing distance and distraction uh you know i've read it in books and so on and so forth but just from somebody again going back to the beginning you know quote unquote renaissance dog man you know with so much experience and different avenues different types of dogs everything from hunting dogs to enforcement dogs to to hounds and all that stuff it's just real fascinating to hear that like you lived it to where no matter which type of dog which type of industry you're in which type of breed no matter what those pillars stayed constant and you were able to work with that dog effectively by just concentrating on the fundamentals and building that foundation. Absolutely. So is there anything else that we're missing on this that, that we need, that we would be remiss if we didn't touch on? Well, um, one of the things that I, I, I kind of seen and maybe in your experience is, you know, uh, one particular trainer's method, and that's the only way to, to train, um, a dog mm -hmm. or this. And one of the things that my plethora of years of doing this is I tried to read, um, everything I can get my hands on. Yes. Um, nobody's got a lock on how to do it for your dog. There's no absolute way to do it. Pick and choose um, that works for you and your dog. And there's a lot of ways to skin that cat. You were, we were talking a little bit, you, you know, how much about the force fetch. You know what? There are so many different ways, and, that, and there is no lock for any dog to do that. That goes the same way with sit, goes the same way with woe, same way with recall. Find what works for you and stick with it and use, use some you know, solid training data and keep a plan. And I think you'll be successful. Absolutely. No, I mean, that's a, that's a message that we've been trying to drive home since the very start of this is it's, you know, listen to everything, read every book that you can, whether it's uh, in line with your th way of thinking or not. Uh, you're only going to learn by, by listening and being open to other ideas and you don't have to apply them, but there's just so much to learn out there that can better you and your dog 
by being open to that information and not just shutting it off because that's not the way that you do it or the way that, you know, your quote unquote mentor or, or, uh, guidance counselor tells you to do it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. If somebody says it won't work without trying it, um, in my experience is they're just, they're, they just don't have enough tools in their toolbox. Absolutely. You know, every opportunity you get, and it's from a guy that's been in it 45 years or a person that just started. I mean, they may come from a whole different view and angle and come up with something that is just mind blowing, easy. And how you weren't doing it that way for 20 years is just beyond you. It's just because nobody thought of it. Absolutely. Nope, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and Bruce, again, you know, I want to just thank you for, for taking the time and coming on, sharing your experience. You know, I know that we, when we first initially started talking about doing doing an episode, we were kind of on another topic and we just went into this one. We'll have to save that first initial topic for, for an episode down the road and have you back on uh, and, and share some more of your knowledge and, and experience. But again, thanks for coming on and, and uh, making yourself open to everybody. Absolutely. I enjoyed it. And I hope uh, if somebody gets a little something out of it, then great. But the number one thing is get out, work with your dog, get as much time as you can, and it'll make you and your dog better. Picture this, you just finished a long day's hunt or a long day in the training field grooming your next champion. You've run through your entire string of dogs in anticipation for the next fall. You think the day's over. It's not though. Your day's not over until you let that ugly dog hunt. No hunting or training session is complete without capping it off with one of the spirits from Ugly Dog Distillery. They're Michigan raised and purebred handcrafted spirits. They have everything you need from vodka and gin to your more traditional after hunt choice Kentucky bourbon. Head on over to UglyDogDistillery.com to check availability within your state. And if you have an upcoming event that's alcohol friendly, then be sure to reach out to us and see if we can add another Ugly Dog to the lineup. We'll tell you right now, we aren't much on flavored whiskeys, but you have to try their peanut butter whiskey. Unlike other peanut butter whiskeys out there, Ugly Dogs is made with real Kentucky bourbon and not just grain alcohol with syrup. So after your next hunt or a long day of testing and you're trying to decide what to drink, reach for the bottle with Ruger, the German wire hair pointer on it. It was handcrafted by people just like us, dog people. Every adventure starts somewhere. Make sure yours includes an ugly dog at your side. Explore responsibly. All right, Harold, it's the inaugural edition of the outro for GDIY. Are you nervous, buddy? No. <laughs> good, good to hear. So what, what did you think about Bruce and the three pillars of dog training overall? Did you enjoy it? Was it informative? What, what were, what's your first thoughts, good or bad? Um, I enjoyed it. I was kind of reluctant hearing it, just kind of, you know, when you hear somebody say, I know, or, you know, they have these three things and that's it. It's kind of like, okay, that's a pretty bold. It's a pretty bold statement, but well, it's funny because uh, you hear that a, a, a lot. Like it, and it always comes down to three, right? I've heard it a number of different ways. You know that he's the first person that I've heard, at least to me, describe it in the way that he did, with the timing, the distance, and the distraction. I've heard a lot, and I've repeated it a lot as as in terms of you know 
dog training, you know, get them to come back, get them to stay and get them to go out. And then I've all, you know, I use it, uh, more often, uh, teach, train, test, right? So it's like, there's a bunch of different ways of putting this, but I like the way he put it because his, I mean, while the other sets of three, whatever you want to call it, kind of boils down to uh, dog training as a whole, and you can apply it. Like, I think this, the, those three words, the timing, distance, and distraction, can make a lot more sense to someone first starting out, possibly. What do you think? Yes. Like, it can be, it, it's a pretty simple way to break it down for sure. And maybe makes a little bit more sense than like some of the others that you just mentioned, even it's, it's a, it's a pretty simple way, but then it's kind of funny because then you start <laughs> going off into those pillar said pillars and it's, you, you, it's kind of like a rabbit hole. honestly. <laughs> yeah. Each one kind of deserves its own episode pretty much. Yeah. That's what I was about to say is as far as even like the timing thing, like you mentioned, I kind of, you guys, when you start talking about that, I thought, well, I, I kind of would like him almost to dive a little bit more into that. It, it It's funny you say that because I, I think I even said it on the, um, on the episode to where I think you take your average dog trainer and handler, no matter experienced or inexperienced. I think the, the trickiest part to all three of these quote unquote pillars would be the timing. The timing is the most difficult thing to get down effectively and you know what do we always say about pro trainers versus diy trainers the pro trainers just have that many more dogs that they get to put their hands on to figure out the timing and the mistakes right and so like us as diy guys you know we're only gonna have one two you know maybe a handful of dogs at any given time stretch that out over your lifetime we're we're not even touching the surface of how many dogs pro trainers hit. So the timing is the hardest thing I think for the average dog trainer to figure out. And so like while talking to him, I'm like, all right, you know, the timing there, there is more to it, especially when he started talking about the difference between time and timing. And so, uh, you know, I was, talking to him and, and I like Bruce. I, I, I like his perspective and just, you know, easy to talk to. So we're definitely going to have him on. Uh, but I went, I, I contacted Angie, you know, Angie's been on a few times. She's, she's kind of, uh, I don't know. It, people know her. Uh, I, I felt like she can really make a lot of sense of this timing scenario. And so we're going to record with her and kind of dive a little bit deeper on that timing piece. Uh, because it is so important and relevant. And then uh, we'll see what she says on the episode and see if Bruce has any issues. And then may maybe, who knows, we can have another GDIY fights down the road, right? Yeah. <laughs> Some dueling tra trainers or something. But but yeah, so it, it's good to hear that me and you are kind of on the same page with the, the, the timing thing. Like, we need to break that down a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I also really enjoyed him talking about having a plan obviously with something you've talked about a lot something i kind of believe in um but he also said but you know to be flexible so um i can't tell you how many times i've kind of done that just like call an audible on a training thing it's like well you have this expectation but you know you have another opportunity come up and that's kind of what he spoke a lot on on this episode was 
um, taking advantage of these opportunities. And uh, I think that's huge for a DIY guy. As you said, it was just got done saying, we don't have time to touch all, all these dogs or even to have that many dogs. So, you know, this is taking advantage of that opportunity when you can. Yeah. Well, you go out, you're doing some training, you need to have a plan. If you don't have a plan, then you're not going to have a, a you're not going to have an effective training session, right? You have to have goals and you have to be able to break them down. But you can't be married to your plan. And, and again, this is very tricky and I hate the word nuance. I think it's over overplayed now, <laughs> but uh it it really is that is nuance knowing when to deviate from your plan and when to go forward at the end of the day there's really there's really no way that i can come up with verbally to explain that to someone first starting out it's really you have to figure it out because each dog is different right and figuring out when you have to fight those battles and push through or back off and adjust fire and it's just like he used the snake aversion, and I, you know, I caveated on that, and piggybacked off that with the uh, deer aversion. You know, there's certain things to where it's just like, yes, it's an opportunity to go do that, but it's also another way of, hey, my plan's not going right. Let's stop banging my head against the wall and forcing this. Let's backtrack and rethink this and come up with a new plan. You know, mm -hmm. I don't want somebody going out there and doing one way or the other. Like, hey. GDIY yeah. said, get a plan. I got to, I got to stick to the plan, but also they say, don't be married. So like, they're too quick to come off that plan. It's a fine line and you really have to just know your dog and trust your gut. Right. Yeah. I was going to say, it's definitely know your dog situation. You know, um, another thing that he was talking about that kind of spoke to me was just, uh, because how busy I am, how busy you are, I know. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners are too, is, you know, it's important to us to, you know, we don't have a lot of time to do this training. And, um, like for example, right now I'm working on this force fetch and stuff and I, you know, I'd love to be done with her by September <laughs> one, but obviously it's not going to happen probably by now, but it's fine. And I've accepted that, but, um, she's making big strides every day and that's awesome. And she'll get there sometime this fall and that's fine. But the thing of it is, is, you know, he mentioned, you know, sometimes you just got to have fun with that dog. You know, his badly's right, man, every day we got to get this done. We got to get another, we got to get another inch closer to force fetched. And it's like, well, you know what? Maybe today I just chuck that thing out there and let you go play with it or whatever. It's just kind of, <laughs> I don't know. It's just kind of one of those things of it's, it's hard to, to do that when you have limited time. And, uh, I, I appreciated him saying that because there, that he's right. There's times where, you just gotta let that dog be a dog, and uh, well, and, uh, it's hard that, to do that. That is a good point. I, I'll, I'll throw a suggestion out your way because force fetch—that's very typical. I've talked about it on our force fetch episodes, and and it comes up all the time. You know, it's it's a grind, especially like if if it's your first time and it's not gone as quick as you hoped, or you had a little bit more hurdles. Like it's a grind, so it's a perfect example. And like you just said, you know, sometimes just taking a break and having a fun day gets gets your mind as well as the dog's mind kind of back into it. I would say if you're working on something that causes frustration and the stress that you're like, I just need to remember why I'm doing this. I want to go have fun with my dog. Don't use that as an excuse to go 
just do anything that counteracts your training. Like what you just mentioned, force fetch. Just go chuck it out there and let a dog be a dog. Just go for a fun run. Let her go swimming. Let her go chase something. Like do something that gets that drive, that energy back up. You're, you, Go back and you remember why you're you started this whole force fetch thing in the first place. The dog gets some just built up energy, get burn off some of that jet fuel, and then you're back on the table knocking it out the next day. But if you go out there and again, the perfect example is force fetch. Like I just want to have fun, and you go chuck a bumper out there or a ball and be like, "Go get it." Well, you you might be instilling some bad habits that make your time on the table even longer, right? So you're a glutton for punishment. It's like it's like all of us fatties that you know we're <laughs> we're dieting all the time, and it's like, oh, I'm gonna have a cheat day. Well, you know <laughs> that cheat day might make that diet have to go way much longer than what what you really want to be doing, right? So, uh, but yeah, it, you know it, it is important to still keep it fun and lighthearted, and that's what it's all mm-hmm. about, right? You yeah. know, it, it at the end of the day, if it's not fun, you're doing something wrong. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of well, you have this plan and you, and you see it going this way. And so then you get stressed out and we just, and like us as humans are kind of like, we just need to push through this, you know, you know, no pain, no gain situation. <laughs> get <And> it. <laughs> it's just, you learn through dog training that that's just not necessarily the case. And I think, uh, that's totally the case just a lot of the times with some of these, with, with, with all these dogs. Um, is that they just they just do not respond to that as as well. Well, I agree. Well, was there anything else that we we talked about throughout the episode that kind of stood out to you that you you want some more, you know, clarity on, or maybe like you just didn't like that we could improve on or something? I mean, you know, what else stood out to you? Um, him talking about putting the dog up. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that being like a big lesson and, and it kind of plays off what we were just talking about frustration. You trying to get through this, this one thing and man, the dog's just not steady. Let's put another bird down. Let's put another one out. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Go put the dog up and let him think about it. Yep. You know, that's, well, and, and more that's, importantly, let you think about it. Too. And let you think about, let you, yeah. Cause it's, it's like you said, it's, this is, why do we get this dog to begin with is to have to go hunting and have fun. And Hey, I'm going to teach this thing a new trick. Well, you got to make sure that that mindset stays there. Yeah. Just, and we've all been in there. You can be the most even killed dog trainer. You can and you can let your emotions creep in on you. Like, you know, that we've all had that dog to where this is not their day, right? Yeah. You've done it a million times with them. Or you've literally just, it's just boom, 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 boom. You keep knocking out these steps and it's like, today we're putting it all together. And then you go out there and it's just like they never saw any of the concepts that you've laid out before them. And you're just like, oh my God, you go from being, you know, just super confident to being like, I'm the worst trainer in the world. But in the moment you get mad at the dog. Yeah. And, and it, it, and it goes back to, you know, it, when you're pointing a finger outwards you got three more fingers pointing right back at you start with you what what did i do and so like it's not so much of putting the dog up to let the dog figure it out because you know if you're not speaking the right love language like we talked about on the episode that dog's not going to sit in the kennel and be like you know maybe, (laughs) (laughs) 
maybe if he shot that launcher out a little bit earlier before I got that close, we wouldn't have had this issue and he wouldn't have got mad at me, right? (laughs) (laughs) But you as the handler, that's your job. And so that is the biggest benefit to having a a good training partner because it it is nice having somebody to help plant birds for you whatever but we've all been there to where that can kind of counteract and they don't really set it up the way you want to right now the biggest impact is having somebody that's further removed emotionally from you and your dog and being like hey Here's a pointer on doing this better. Or when you start getting mad, go put the dog up. And I've done that with a number of my buddies and training partners. You've seen me do it. Like, hey, man, go put the dog up. Think on it a little while. If you still want to do another rep, do it a couple hours from now. Don't do it right now. Uh, But (laughs) The thing about that is, too, is that works the other way, too. Like when the dog's doing well, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you, you don't do too. It's also like. You're like, hey, man, you want to do another one? No, actually, like... You nailed it. Go yeah. home. Yeah. Yeah. Less is more. <laughs> it really I is. I think you guys spoke on that a little bit, too, but, yeah, that, I thought that's definitely another thing because you're like, like you said, we want to end on a good note. Let's do one more, and, you know, this time I'm going to take a picture of it. Yep. <laughs> and when, no. It, and it's, it's always the same, same buddy, right? It's always the same guy, like, let's do more. Let's do more. And then it never fails. There are more times than not leaving training pissed off, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like, you had it. The dog did right. And then it, you had to go do one more rep. And then it, that's when it screwed up. And now you're leaving there mad. It's like, man, just, just know when to – I don't like calling it quits because it sounds like I'm quitting. But, you know, know when to wrap it up. It's just you got – if you get everything that you want out of that dog to go do this – Go give it a fun bumper. Go get go do a fun run. I'm not saying like, oh, you did fantastic. In the dog box you go. No. Like go, no. you know, go reward them with a fun bumper or a fun run or, or something like that. Uh, something completely unrelated to whatever you're working on. And then that way your dog's not like, well, I did it right and I got put up for it. No. Yeah. You know, it's I don't care if you have a planted bird in the field. You know, it's when you start seeing people do that to where they get the result they want and they still have birds planted in the field and they'll be like, ah, the next person up will get it. You can trade birds with the next person, right? It just saves them from having to go plant them. Right. So, you know, there, there's always solutions to that. And that's, that's when you know that you're in the right trainers, the, the mindset that we talk about all the time, getting there. That's, that's when you know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and that's something I've noticed in my training recently is just, you know, especially with uh, Lucy's force fetching, you know, and again, it's, there's a reading your dog element to, you know, you, there's times where you say, okay, we need to, we need to work through this, but it's not necessarily you're getting frustrated and the dogs, you just, you know, get that one more rep or get what you're looking for and then be done. Yeah. She worked through it. Great. You don't need to drive it home. And it's kind of like I've noticed that, uh, especially with the force fetching thing, there was a period there where she, you know, her, she wasn't really happy to be doing it. Her tail wasn't wagging. She was kind of like, she would go do it, but it was kind of whatever. I have but, now, to. but now her tail's wagging, yep. you know, after, especially after I'm praising her and things, it's, she can't help but that tail start wagging. So I'm starting this and then, you know, I'm just kind of starting to shorten the sessions even. And I think that's even kind of where that came from is, yeah. you know, less is more of that. Absolutely. 
Well, I think one uh, one thing that I think we would be remiss to if we didn't touch on is the importance of distractions. You know, if you figure out the timing, you figure out the distance, you know, I see all kinds of people figuring out, especially like when you start dealing with place and whether the distance kind of comes natural. There's a lot of things that distance just naturally plays into what we're doing. And it makes a lot of sense for people to be like, I need to be able to woe my dog at a distance or this far out or for this long or, and that's the difference between time and timing like he was talking about. But the distractions, this is really what gets into the, when I tell people and I talk to people all the time on the phone, uh, train hard, test easy, add in distractions, literally get creative. Think of the dumbest things that you can put your dog into this scenario with. Like, I'm not saying, you know, add something dangerous or just something completely unrealistic, but add another dog to the scenario, add multiple birds in one location you know, flush one bird, but have a couple other birds there. That's a distraction. Put it in different areas. Uh, when you're working obedience, this is so easy to do. And honestly, I've kind of fallen out of doing it since I moved out here and we had the pandemic last year. Uh, go when you're working on heel, go to Lowe's or tractor supply. There's all kinds of distractions in there, all kinds of smells, Automatic opening doors, people, shopping carts, other dogs sometimes. Like, there's a million distractions. And if you can, you know, that's where I talk about the train or uh, teach, train, test. That's kind of my test is like, let's throw everything but the kitchen sink at them. I've, I've taught it. We've trained it, which is just drilling over and over and over again. Now let's go test it with distractions let's go put it to the test did i do a good enough job teaching it and training it and people fail to kind of get creative in the field when it comes to this stuff add in different things you know it's uh Austin, he's working steadiness with cash right and he's running through the field well the dog's used to planting birds well let's throw in just a flying flyer bird let's bomb him with a pigeon you know just out of nowhere it's a distraction. Stop to flush. Keep your composure. Keep your head. And then let's drive on. So it's such an easy thing, but it's so often overlooked to, to where most of the time when you're talking to people about something that went wrong on training day, it's, it's this. They're always training the perfect scenario, and they're not training other things that can go wrong, which I put into the same category as distractions. That's the way I took it anyway. I, yes, I agree. Um, I, distractions in training with me are huge. Like, I, I, it's like they have to learn it, right? Without distractions, there's that period. But I feel like as soon as they know that command, then you should, you should be kind of mixing in some distractions here and there from then on. And like, I, with Lucy every day, when I sit down to eat breakfast or whatever, I'll go out on the couch or whatever and turn on the news and sit down and I put her place board you down. You still watch me. the news? Well, whatever. <laughs> the weather, the local weather that is on the news. You still trust um, the weather? <laughs> <laughs> man, the Olympics. I don't know. Whatever's on. <laughs> and so I'll put that place board down, you know, in front of me there. 
And so, because otherwise she's going to want to sit on the couch next to me and maybe sniff at the bowl or whatever. So this is something I've been working through recently. It's like, no, while I'm eating, you're going to just be calm. So I keep the place board in front of me. And um, if she takes a step, then, you know, I correct her. But she's, for the most part, she's been doing really well. But it's just something, um, you know, I'll sit there and then I'll have Rochelle I'll say, okay, go like wrestle the bag in the kitchen. So she thinks she's <laughs> like maybe yeah. getting a treat. Yep. You know, or go, go feed Snickers, our other dog, our Sheltie. Yep. And she'll hear that, you know, that grain, uh, the kibble hit the bowl and she's like perked up, ready to go. And it's like, you know, that's a, I just, um, I try to take advantage of that every day yeah. <laughs> with her, but, um, it's just, and, uh, that's just a little thing, but it's not really a big deal. But, well, um, I mean, it's something as small as when you're going, if you're preparing for a NAVDA utility test. When you're in the test, you have what's called a gallery between the handler, the gunners, the judges, anybody that's walking with them that, you know, you're allowed to walk, you know, sometimes as a kid or a wife or something. So you have a big group of people. I mean, if you're talking three judges, sometimes two apprentice judges, there's five, the handler, six, two gunners, that's eight. And if you got another person or two, you can have easily 10 people in the field with you while your dog's expected to do the steadiness sequence. And you can tell when a dog's not used to that. They've all, they're only used to like one or two people in the field. That's distractions. You got people talking. You have people in an area where, you know, they're just not used to doing it. So, um, yeah, just add in distractions. Just think about realistically what can happen that I can control still in the training scenario and environment. And let's add it in there and then just add it to your training regimen. So, but yeah, uh, I mean, that's, that's really all I had had with this particular episode and topic. Uh, again, you know, we're going to be touching on more, uh, more in depth, especially on the t- timing potentially, but you know, is there anything else that you felt like warranted discussion? Um, I don't guess from from uh, not from my perspective. Uh, that's kind of touched on everything I kind of enjoyed from the episode. Um, as I said, I going into it feeling a little skeptical, but coming out of it, I was <laughs> feeling a little refreshed in some ways. Um, it's one of the, it's one of those topics people are either going to be like, "Well, duh," or yes. or it's life changing, right? It's just like, yeah. "Oh, I, I've never thought of it that way." Uh, you know, it's either or, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so with nothing else to add on this, I guess it's what housekeeping time. Yeah. Yeah. So last week, you know, we threw it out there saying that we were doing the survey and, and we got a great response from people completing that survey for us. Appreciate everybody taking their time. You know, it's not the world's shortest survey. Uh, We did cut it down from where we had it, you know, there's a few things that w- we cut down that, uh, you know, we just didn't want to throw people a 200 question survey or anything. But again, thanks for everybody. Uh, at the end of it, there's a little message. If you want to be a part of the little Yukonuba dog food drawing giveaway, uh, what's going to happen is you, if you want to be entered in that, give me your information, your, your, at least your email address and your name. Um, and we're going to draw four people that's going to get three months worth of Yukonuba food for free. Okay. 
and uh, that's for one dog. Like you're not going to be able to like be like, oh, I got ten dogs, but let me get three months worth for ten dogs. No, this is like you know, this is for you to try it out on your dog. Three months is a long enough time to see the benefits of this dog food, and you know, make the switch and see how it compares to your current dog food. So just by completing the survey you can enter in this drawing uh, at a chance to make the switch to you can if this has been something that you've been curious about and changing foods so be sure when you complete that survey if you want in on that follow the instructions at the end just shoot us an email at gundog at yourself at gmail.com and boom we'll put you in the drawing and it's pretty good odds right now i have quite a few people saying you know hey no need on the dog food i'm either feeding you can or i'm happy with my current food uh but please send me a sticker Right on, no problem. Do that too. So uh, right now, if you want in on that dog food giveaway, I mean, I don't know about you, but three months worth of free dog food—that's that—that that can help out during a hunting season, right? So yeah, I'm even shocked that some of them have turned it down. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, a few of them were like, "I'm already on Yukonuba, so go, you know, try and give it to somebody else that uh, you know oh, wants yeah. to make the switch." And I'm like, you know, that's pretty noble of you. If I was on, you know, I'd still want the free food. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, again, thanks for everybody. We're gonna leave it o- open for a little bit longer. We'll probably do the giveaway. Uh, probably by the end of this week uh, or on the next next week's episode or something like that. So not too much longer for the food giveaway. Uh, but yeah, just, just check that out and um, fill out the survey. Let us know what you hate about the podcast, what you love about it, so on and so forth. And then there's those random little hunting questions and preference questions, you know, nothing special. Um, and then I want hunting guest suggestions. If... We are looking at, you know, here in the near future, talking a lot about hunting specific topics. Uh, We're kind of, we have a few people in mind on certain specific species. If you guys have a guest suggestion that like you just know, he's just a stone cold killer. Him and his dogs go out and they kill, you know, a million pheasants per season. Uh, You know recommend that guest to us shoot shoot us their name their number their email address let us hit them up we have we have some ideas but but we want people a little bit outside the box that can talk about this you know we've all heard the normal people that do the normal rotation on on podcasts we want the people that you haven't heard on podcasts and maybe do a little bit more diy type of camping and trips and doing this hunt over there stuff that you guys haven't heard about we want to know about it. We want to. We want to hear and talk. Talk to them. Yes. <laughs> that's that's all you got. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it is all I got. <laughs> all right. Well, one thing that you better have for us is uh, a review of the week. I do have that. Good, um, Mister uh, Sean eight four six four two. He's got left a nice uh, comment on here in July of this year. Um, he said, good stuff. So these guys do a good job of making this often overwhelming subject accessible for everyone. Good um, stuff. <laughs> Just like yeah. it said. That's that's ultimately the, the goal of the podcast, why we, we got started. is To make good stuff. <laughs> and I agree with him that it is an overwhelming subject, and uh, that's why I was a listener of this podcast um, before helping you out with it and joining it. And 
Um, so, I mean, that's totally kind of sums it all up right there. Yeah, no, it, exactly. I mean, that's exactly why we started it was it, it was unnecess- unnecessarily overwhelming, right? Like, let's try and shorten that gap between the people that know the information and the people that want to know it. And and uh, appreciate it, Sean. Uh, be sure to hit us up uh, at the gundogityourself at gmail.com. If you'd like a sticker, appreciate your support and filling out the review and taking the time to do that. Again, people, the, these reviews help us out. The ratings and reviews, uh, the written reviews mean a lot to us. We, we, we enjoy reading them and uh, wish we had time to read all of them. But I think, uh, read all of them on air, but I think everybody would probably just turn off the podcast for something like that i don't know but yeah uh, <laughs> we'll do we'll keep doing one a week but appreciate it guys uh we're currently at i think 294 ratings let's let's try and knock out 300 this week that'd mean a lot and uh go check out everybody else that's supporting this podcast uh they're, they're great people you know be sure obviously we mentioned you can but go hit up dakota 283 you know gdiy 10 gets you 10 percent if you're uh, Patreon patron, you get even more. Uh, Ugly Dog Whiskey. Go into your liquor stores, ask for some Ugly Dog Whiskey. It's almost hunting season. Get you some of that peanut butter whiskey. Get It's still hot right now, man. I've been, I've been enjoying that peach whiskey. Uh, go hit that up. Uh, but yeah, you know, go support that. And we have a couple more announcements on uh, some other supporters and, and sponsors of the podcast coming up soon. And I'm excited to, to get that out. But uh Harold, is there anything else, or did we jabber on long enough, do you think? We've probably jabbered on too long. Everybody's probably like, this is probably what everybody's thinking. <laughs> what they're are probably they thinking? Like, they're probably thinking, all right, these guys last week were talking smack about intros and how <laughs> stupid intros are and how, you know, they're just to fire you up and get you ready and it really does nothing and now they're probably gonna be like okay i just listened to the episode and they basically just repeated stuff <laughs> off the episode <laughs> this is stupid either way why am i listening still no hey, i don't know hey the, the <laughs> people that enjoy the outro will continue to 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 hit the outro up and me and you're only going to get better the more in sync we get but uh <laughs> The people that don't want to hear an intro or outro, hey, they can hit stop, right? That's true. Uh, they just don't get any of the good housekeeping. You don't get the good stuff. That's true. <laughs> the, the good stuff. The real good stuff. Yep. Well, 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 yeah, just uh, if anything, just go fill out the survey. It'd mean a lot. It'd uh, you know, get you a chance to win some food. and uh, Yeah, I think that's really about it. There you go. No truer words have been spoken ever. (laughs) All right, guys. I appreciate it. See you next week. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog it yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. 
Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.